Welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 11 to 17, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 20th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, and I am working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. This episode is brought to you by The Adventure of Fatherhood, helping men discover their powerful fatherhood role and build their fatherhood skills. The role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, find joy and have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's podcast is a quick reflection, pulling out some key moments on the four podcasts that I've had over the last 12 months that had the most impact on my life. Number one, actually landing in December a year ago, was Kelly Flanagan, episode 274. Check out the snippets, and if you like it, I highly encourage you to go listen to the full episode and read his book. What stuck out to me and has been stirring in me since this conversation and from reading his book is, what's the story I tell myself about my life? And in what ways are some of those stories true and not true, or the meaning is no longer serving me? The second podcast was with Chris Flores, episode 334, A True Comeback Story. He shares a moment in a rage fight with his wife, and we've all been there, where an accident happened, it went a little too far, and the impact, but then the comeback from the impact. Number three is Chris Bruno, episode 354, and this man, he was 100% present with me. He's a sage. I was not in a good place when I stepped into our time of connection, And instead of putting it off to a day where I could be Ned, we dug in to the Ned that was there on that day. And to have a man that's a sage speak into your life, powerful. And number four, Dan Takini. Now myself, 40 year old man, you know, I'm in my 20th year of marriage. I need men who are ahead of me. I need to look at a man who's been married almost twice as long as me to look to as a guide, as a mirror, as a reflection, as a, hey, you have what it takes. And sharing in that episode, connecting with him, connecting with a man who's further ahead, it's powerful for you and I, so enjoy those clips. My friends, these podcasts, you know, it's great to put these out into the world, but they are transforming me conversation by conversation. I hope that you can find transformation yourself. Enjoy. When you think about the role of the father, you've hit a lot of stages already in your role. What would you describe the role of the father as? I think about this. So Lovable came out in 2017 and uh, I was asked to run a a weekend retreat around Lovable in 2018. And I'll never forget, it was after the first morning session, we were driving to lunch or something, a few of us guys. One of the guys said, I was trained to believe that a man isn't afraid of anything. But I'm starting to realize it's not that a man isn't afraid of anything around him. It's that he's unafraid of anything within him. There's Mm -hmm. nothing within himself that he's unwilling to face and to hold space for and to experience. I feel like more and more I'm getting clarity that I thought my role as a father is to fix, usher them from point A to point B, be in charge. And more and more, I think it's just to be able to hold space for their experience of life. Because when they bring life to me, it stirs up all sorts of junk in me. 
we mm. had this happen twice last night where my son was deeply painfully affected by something that happened from an authority figure at school yesterday and he got in the car and he was undone and i'd never seen him like that and all of the things that came up in me i mean the first thing was anxiety what happened mm. to him and how do i get this to stop how do i get him to feel better the next thing is he started to share what happened was anger at the person who did it and just wanting to act and yeah, yeah. make that person feel as bad as they made my son feel. And then there was some shame of maybe we just need to like capitulate what the person was telling my son he needed to do. There was just all of these emotions. And if in that moment I make it about my emotions and trying to get rid of them or make them feel better, then it's suddenly not about his emotions. I found myself in that moment just saying, be there for him. The outward action and trying to so managing all my stuff was just, hey, dude, just cry in there. Get this all out. Don't let this get stuck in you. Just feel this all the way until it's out. And then we'll talk. We'll talk about what to do at that point. And I never really had anybody that if that had happened to me, what happened to him yesterday when I was 15, that would have gotten bottled in. It would have been stuck in there. And I'm 45, 30 years later, and it would still be stuck in there. Just the space for our kids to feel life and to hold that space for them and be able to bear witness to it and not feel like I have to do anything to it, but just be there with them. And that, that's where I'm at as a dad right now. If I can do that, manage my own stuff so that I can do that for them, I think it's a win. Mm, man, that's really beautifully said. An amazing approach. And when you have your own feelings come up of reaction, whatever that looks like, mm -hmm. What are you doing inside yourself so that you process those four or five reaction mm. opportunities to then hold space to just be present for what it is your kid may need? Because yeah. uh, I'm going to give you an example. That's like, right. dude, I just right. this the other day, you know, something happened with my kid. My kid got in an altercation with another kid mm. and I did well there, but I didn't do well in another scenario talking to the dad and I reacted really quick and I called the dad and I'm like, Hey, basically like, why did you do this? And then I just look like a dummy because I was incorrect mm. in my approach. And after the call, I tell my wife, I'm like, damn it. I wish I would have given myself like five more minutes mm. to just yes. think about it or think through the scenario before I was like, I need to call this guy right now. Yes. So one of my big takeaways from our last front row dad's gathering is that speed is usually not my friend in these mm, situations. Yes. Right? Yes. Like if I'm feeling a, an urge to speed up and get something done, it's usually a protective mechanism saying, I want to take control so I don't have to feel this anymore. Or so yep. that you don't have to, because I love you and I don't want you to feel terrible. Right. And I almost always regret speeding up. <laughs> and so I wanted to actually turn around and go back to the school and probably get my butt kicked because, <laughs> because the person's a lot bigger than me. But I wanted to go back and do something about yeah. it right away. Yeah, totally. So number one, there's, I think, the power of awareness, the power of watching your reactions rather than acting quickly on them. It's sort of like you're trying to hold space for your kid, but you got to hold space for yourself first. Mm -hmm. you have to just be, you're not trying to get those emotions to go away. You're just refusing to act on them and being and sitting with them. I think it's part of it. I think body work, breath work, trying to open up that closed tight feeling that's starting to descend as all those feelings are kicking in, trying to use the body to loosen up and let your own feelings flow and go. I think that's part of it. But I mean, I think you just nailed it. Right off the bat, I think you nailed the most important things. Just don't act. Don't act. And what it turned out for us was it was an, an email later in the night, an email that didn't attack, but an email that just named who our kid was and who he is and affirmed him mm -hmm. and allowed the other person to get on board with that narrative. And to this person's credit, 
I got to tell you, moved my wife to tears, his response, wow. uh, how open and receptive he was. So it's had a really nice, I won't say resolution, that sounds too tidy, but it's a, it has a nice arc to what happened. But man, mm-hmm. if I'd started reacting right away. Right. You're just like throwing just, fuel on the fire. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Something I really been thinking about. So I don't know if this resonates with anybody, but I think that what I'm finding is like the situation with my son or the situation with my daughter or whatever other situations have happened the last week, I could name like 10 as probably every other dude on here could. So it's not like, oh, poor me, my life is hard. But I think part of the issue is looking at my own schedule is that I hit like decision fatigue and patience fatigue by like three or four. So it's not even that the one-off instances, like if I told, like I had to call a friend the other night because I responded so poorly to my 10-year-old daughter Mm -hmm. that I felt shame about it. And again, from reading your book and some other things, I'm trying to be vulnerable and not just look like I've got my Mm -hmm. shit together. There's like some people I'm whatever talking to just admit... Yeah, good. So, but I'm realizing it's not so much the instant is that I'm trying to do so many other things. There is no space. The cup is too freaking full. So I don't know if that resonates with anybody, but because it's like, okay, well, my trigger is this and I'm going to take five minutes and do 15 pushups and do, okay, great. But there's probably like a lot Mm -hmm. of other things you might need to think about to even be in a position to do that. My friends, sorry for this quick interruption. However, somewhat sadly, I get more questions from dudes about fitness than I do about fatherhood. But what I found is that the fathers who start taking care of their fitness and nutrition end up finding fatherhood, marriage, work, and all other aspects of life come into a deeper clarity of purpose, enjoyment, and fulfillment. Now, I've partnered with Rise Up Kings to launch Ruck Fitness, a transformative program that is less focused on a six-pack in 90 days and more focused on you creating the habits, mindset, and lifestyle that will allow you to be a healthy asset to your family for decades. Come join me in a transformative journey to become the man you want to see in the mirror. Go check it out, www.rebellandcreate.com forward slash fitness. Now back to the show. About 18 months ago, almost two years ago, I made the biggest mistake in my life. You go back to before Superhuman Fathers, I was the opposite of Superhuman Father, right? I talk about emotional control. I was constantly putting my wife in the service role when I came home from the firehouse. I'd get off for three days, I'd open the door. Otherwise, the house dirty, there's dishes there. I need to sit down because I'm sleep deprived. I need a beer. I, 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 right? You owe me. I make the money. It's in my house. Like all this stuff, right? I put her in the service mode and that compounds over years. Your wife don't respect you. She's going to resent you. There's no trust, integrity, or respect there. So we start having some issues a little bit. And then I made my massive mistake. We went on date night. We got in an argument after and in our bedroom. I hit a pot. This pot hit my wife in the face. She called the cops and I got arrested for a felony domestic violence. And that changed my life. Wow. Wow. So it's heavy. And I know when I tell people or any guy out there, yeah, I got arrested for uh, domestic violence. Your first thought is what? I'm going to jump to this computer screen, whatever, and I'm going to choke this guy out, right? But I ask you guys to, to judge me based on my actions afterward and the trajectory of where we're at now with my wife and kids. So fast forward a little bit after this, get out of jail, got a restraining order. It's just chaos. I'm going downhill. I'm creating this narrative. I'm going to lose my wife, my kids. I'm going to lose my job at the firehouse. I'm going to lose my paramedic license. So I just start spinning. I got to take a year of DV classes, but all the whole time I had to look myself in the mirror and I had to make a decision. You're going to go be a single fireman and have a secure job 
and everything will be okay. You just won't see your wife and kids, but you'll have a stable paycheck. Or are you going to fight the system? Go get your wife, go get your kids, show your kids how to overcome adversity, man up, own every ounce of everything in your life and go get your wife and create this ultimate family that you want to create. And that's the decision I made. And a massive, massive foundation of that was through Christ, was through owning everything, building relationships at the church. And then fast forward a little bit more, I find Kyle at Superhuman Fathers because I'm like, man, I need some income. I think I want to lose my job. And I hired this coach, Wes Watson. And he's like, go check out my boy, Kyle. He runs his fatherhood fitness nutrition program he just started. So I said, okay. So I started bugging Kyle. I said, dude, I'll work for free. I don't care. I just want to pour in. I want to make sure no father made the mistake I made. Here's where I'm coming from, a place of extreme pain, vulnerability. And then we had about 80 fathers at that moment. And right now we have just over 600 and it's really grown over the last couple of years. And the ability to just kind of tap into these dads, run Zoom calls, run the first responder side with military cops and firemen that don't make the same mistake I made. has been very humbling and gratifying. I've come a long way since then. My marriage is night and day, man. Like I said, this is a big reason why we're having our third child. So this child will never see that version of me ever. They're only going to see the new version. My kids, I did them a disservice by my behaviors, by my actions. So my goal in life is just to pour into my wife and kids, pour into these fathers, pour into the church. I owe the church community, superhuman fathers, my wife and my kids, everything. It's not about me. Wow, Bro, dude, thank you for your vulnerability, honesty, and like... Your choice to dig in and fight for what you knew mattered. Because that story, the reality of what you did is just such an inspiration to so many of us, right? I mean, even to think about the moments where we're fighting with our wife and it's like, we just go a little too far, right? And it's like an accident happened and was it preventable? Yes. But you talk about the situation and it's like, man, how horrific for something just to like get out of control. And I think many of us could go, man, there's a couple of times where I could see things going out of control and maybe the pot didn't hit her. But if it did, I could be in the situation and to go, I need to make sure that I'm using the power that I have as a man to be meek. I've been digging into this word more, you know, meekness. What does it mean to be meek? And I love it. And somebody gave me the example that to be meek doesn't mean that we're weak. But the best example is Jesus on the cross, all the power, all the power possible but he chooses to stay. And so same in that situation where I'm next level heated and my wife may be in my face, that I can stand there and die to myself and go like, there's something bigger here that matters. Like that's where I want to be. I wouldn't say I'm there today, but that's where I want to be. So I would love to hear from you. How did you win your wife back over from the situation? Full responsibility for my actions of what happened because I wasn't perfect after. Why did you call the cops? Why did you? I was still falling in that cycle. It was last about two months. I'm just like, that's when that awakening happened. Like, bro, get it together. This is all your fault. As soon as you come to realize that, take full responsibility. Every ounce of everything in your life that goes wrong from here forward is your fault. Your wife makes a mistake. It's your fault. Your kids make a mistake. It's your fault. So I got to own everything. It took a little bit, man. I mean, you talk about a stubborn fireman that is used to having things maybe go his way or not go his way. When you come into their marriage, it's a whole different perspective switch. I just had to own everything. And that's where it stemmed from. Yeah. Okay. This is really powerful. So I want to give people an example here because you hear, let me ask you this before I make the statement. To what level does it take two people to want to work on it? Because your wife was willing to work on it. Is that true? Correct. 
Yeah, we had a lot of outside noise. We lost a lot of relationships with friends because they heard the word DV, right? And they scattered, but we also gained a ton more valuable real relationships. A big part of that, again, was the church, going to church together. We didn't go to church before then. I'm 35. I didn't go to church until a year and a half ago. And I went with my wife, started praying with the pastor, praying with her, praying for this. And, you know, here I am. Talking about this switch, how in the midst of this does Jesus come and connect with you? What does that look like? I remember kneeling by my bed asking, and and I don't pray. Where were you? I was in my bedroom, and I remember sitting there. I just got off the phone with, like, the state of California paramedic licensory, and there's like, you're under investigation, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And at the same time, I think work called me and said, hey, we're running an investigation. I think the courthouse, all within, like, 20 minutes. It was like, boom, 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 three of the heaviest phone calls. So everything's spiraling. And I was like, what do I, I have no idea what to do. For some reason, I just started praying. I'm like, Jesus, if you're real, and I just went down this massive prayer. I just remember, oh my God, like this is transformative right now. So I really believe I was put in that situation for a reason. Now I switch it and have the ability to impact massive amounts of fathers off my mistake versus like you said, maybe that pot never hit her. And maybe the cycle of abuse of arguing and putting my wife in the service mode continued for 10 years without any physical abuse. Talk about that. That's a whole different lens. Yeah. So what led you to go like, I'm at such an end of my rope. Let's just see if Jesus is real. Is like, there anything you'd point to any person that was influential? Or is it just kind of like growing up in America, we just all know that this is something that's available? Yeah, honestly, no, I, I just I was just super lost and confused. I didn't know what to do, where to turn. All my friends were isolating me. I didn't I was alone at the time, you know, and I don't operate off of being a victim or anything, but I literally had no one to talk to because I was embarrassed of the story. So the guys that I did want to tell, I was too embarrassed. And the more I tell this story, the less it owns me and the more it's impact. Dude, that's such a powerful statement. Guys, if you're holding on to something, which many of us are, especially if we're rolling lone wolf and not in a, any kind of group or accountability, you're probably holding on to some stuff that's holding you back from your full potential. The more you bring it to the light, dude, the less power it has on you. And like, listen to Chris, you're not sitting here judging Chris. You're probably, I mean, many of us, it's like envious of the freedom that he's experiencing with his words. And he's not sharing the story for any reason other than to be authentically himself. So really beautiful. Okay, so going back, dude, your wife was willing to work on the marriage. And I think that's really important is that she was willing to work on it. So it gave you guys a good spot to go from because it takes two people to want to work it out. But you had a smile on your face. How come? I just realized a massive part of this was we committed first to go to church. I started doing that. But then we committed to this program. It's like the 75 Hard Andy Frisella program. It's like a fitness deal. And part of it has some daily checks in the beginning. We did this together. And part of it was like some personal development stuff. So we get up at 4.30 in the morning together. Our kids are sleeping. We go downstairs. We'd get our reading in, our faith-based stuff in, whether that's journaling, meditation, or prayer. And then we write down kind of five daily tasks that we would do together that we'd get done, accomplished. And then we both go work out. We did that every single day for 75 days with a controlled diet, with two workouts a day. One has to be outside, one has to be inside. And we did this together. And that like exploded our marriage. Doing stuff together, seeing results together, aligned. It was really good because it allowed, you know, you talk about the trauma side of it, like your trauma could be transmitted into your kids or you can use it to transform them into people that can learn from my mistakes. And I just refused to let that trauma be transmitted into my kids. You asked me, Ned, do you want to have a real conversation? Whether that's about me and my wife or whether that's about whatever, but the idea of two men 
who don't know each other coming together and having a real authentic conversation. Yes. Let me ask you first out the gate, what has shifted for you mm. to be able to ask questions such as that? Mm. Well, a couple of things I will start with. So first of all, I just want to acknowledge that is something that I have had to grow. Mm-hmm. I have had to work on. It's not something that 20 years ago would have been the Chris that you would have encountered. So it's a different space. For me, it is recognizing that every person that I have the privilege of engaging with is holding two things. Now, one is a lot of pain and mm. one is a lot of glory. Mm. And if we can have conversations about those two things, then we're actually going to be able to come to the in-between of the two of us where something different happens. Where if I can engage your pain and I can engage your glory and you can do the same with me, then we're actually sitting in the space of brotherhood. Wow. So I understand pain. When you say we all have pain, everybody goes, oh yeah, totally, get it, got it. When you say glory, what is it that you mean? I mean that every one of us has written into who we are as humans, the poetry of God that he has written into (laughs) us, the fingerprint of God that he has emblazoned onto us, that it is not our glory, but it is his through us. And that is unique in you. And that is unique in me. And that is unique in every single person. And so the more that I get to sit in the places of your glory, the more that I get to spend time coming to know who he is in a totally new and different way. Bro, okay, already teary. So let me share this with you and then you can give me your feedback. So in May, I was on my way to an event and on the drive, I asked God, God, what do you want me to get out of this event? Yeah. So we have five kids and been married 19 years. He says, Ned, I want you to put your wife first. I'm like, oh, sweet. So like now I literally could go to this event and just have fun because he gave me the nugget I needed. So he said, just want you to, go all in on your wife. She's got to be the number one thing. I'm like, okay, cool. So then at the event, this guy shared an idea of doing something for a hundred days. I decided to write my wife a love letter for a hundred days. I did it every day. I missed one day. I put it in a blog. I just gave it to her two weeks ago. So it's like, uh, wow, that's, you know, your URL. And I posted a blog every day of a picture of us doing something or her and the kids. And I wrote a love letter. What I will tell you is it was cool. It was cool. I say that today. Day five, I had to call my mentor. I'm like, dude, I do not want to do this. She's pissing me off. (laughs) And he's like, that's your challenge, bro. God gave you that opportunity to show you that this really matters. It's not a test of you are going to fail. It's an opportunity to show you like, yeah, yeah, you're going to do this. You got what it takes. And those are going to keep coming. So it was great advice or great mentorship. Sure. Yeah. So here's what I learned because I just unpacked this with him and I want to get your opinion on this because this is where I'm at now is what I discovered through having to write a love letter, even when I was frustrated over, you know, because we probably had frustrations, you could imagine over a hundred day period, that it helped me to see her pain more. Mm -hmm. So I was even able to journal like, okay, I can see when she flares up or when she's frustrated, I could see her pain from her past. And that's what's great that's really helped me in our argument, see her as a daughter of God, know what her childhood was like, know what it was like to not have a dad. I understand that. But here is where I am now sitting. Our last conversation was, I need to have compassion, which is I need to see her glory. That is the next step for my continued transformation 
for a full alignment with my spouse. The glory piece really hit me. And I just would love to hear your thoughts. That's my next little season is, and I'm sure when I say little, it's not 100 days, it's going to be, you know, 70 years. But to see someone's glory, how do you be present enough to see somebody's glory when you are frustrated, when you're, I guess, being selfish in your own feelings and emotions? Yeah. Well, great question. I want to come back to your word, compassion. So to have compassion is you said it's to, you know, then see her glory. And and the word compassion actually means compassion to suffer with. So if you are going to be seeing your wife's glory, you have to enter through the door of suffering with her, not just seeing her pain, not just acknowledging her pain, not just knowing that it exists. But do you have a sense of what it feels like to be on the inside of her, to suffer with her, what that pain has been, where it has come from, how it has felt? And as you do so, I say that this is the doorway into the glory, is that as you understand where the pain has come in her life and in her story, in her past, then you can also go upstream and ask the question, And so what has been the assault of evil against her? Why in that area? Because that area is going to be the high value target of where the evil is wanting to steal, kill, and destroy the glory of God written in her. And so if you can enter into her suffering, then you can also begin to recognize what was so valuable about that target, what was so valuable about that space inside of her. Okay, it's powerful. I got chills because I think... What I tend to do is take that white 40-year-old male who had a great life and is watching the television commercial of the starving kids and just feel bad. So I acknowledge, okay, the reason why she said that or is feeling this way is because of her story. So I feel bad and I would have, I almost said it again. So I have compassion, but it's not really compassion that I'm feeling for her. It's more of a of an arrogant, uh, I have something you don't have and I feel bad for you, so let me help you, which is not so, the same thing as you're talking about. What is the word for that then, Ned? Oof, I don't know. Yeah, it's pity. Oh, okay, okay. And that, that will never connect us. It will never, because the design of pity is to increase the shame of her and the distance between you and her. Mm. That is what pity is aiming for. So that's why I'm saying compassion to actually suffer with is that acknowledgement, not of just the issue, but it is stepping into the mud, into the scene, into the pain and feeling it. I mean, another word, another word for compassion is empathy, right? It is having that sense of like, I know what it feels like to be in that same space as you. I'm feeling with you. If I were to break it down just a little bit, withness, which is not actually a word, but withness, to be with, is actually what is the core, I believe, of the gospel. Withness, to be with us and us with God and each other with each other. That is the healing space. Anything else, like I said, pity is seeking to bring distance, is to elevate one over the other. It's to increase the shame of the, of the less than person in order to elevate the more than person. 
man, as you share that, I'm reflecting on the last 100 days. And I can see two moments in particular where my heart melt and go sit next to an arm around and feel the withness, feel the closeness, because it's crazy. It's like, there was some times where it's the closeness, the connectedness was massive, which I think when you're in a struggle with your spouse, I think it's meant to be right? I mean, I think that it's meant for me to walk away frustrated in the sense like I have to die to myself. I mean, I think that marriage is the number one thing to create unity and bring us closer to God. But I think the pity is where I've lived for seasons of my life. And it even comes up. But as you hear that now, I think what's beautiful is in those moments, I can then check in with myself is like, am I having pity because I want this to be over and whatever? Or can I be with? And here's the thing that when I'm in my best self, I go, God entrusted me enough. Like he believes I have what it takes. That's why we have each other. We have a spouse. So we're trusted that we have what it takes to do this. So thank you for the pity versus the withness. And the withness is what creates healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I want to just bring it also back even one layer deeper. Withness even with yourself. Do you know what is frustrated? Do you know what is being triggered inside of you? When you experience these things from her, it is something inside of her and it is something inside of you. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's really good, right? I mean, because when you're in the tension of it, it's so easy to see what's wrong on the other side. Yeah. So let me ask this, because this is something that I feel like I've been thinking about with God is, if I truly believe that Sarah is the other half of me, right? So like, I am not whole. I am not complete without her. I mean, right out the gate, I'll tell you, she has a wisdom I will just never have, right? I mean, she's my queen. I have to go to her about things. Not as a, I'm not another kid. I'm a man and she's a woman, but there's pieces she has I don't have. Here's why I'm bringing this up. It's easy for me to see what's wrong with myself in the sense of like, okay, I could create discipline. I'm going to do fitness. I'm going to eat this way. I'm going to read this much. I'm going to meditate, whatever. We could do that. When you have another half of you that you do not have control of, us men probably want control. And I'm sure the women want control of us too. We think in our minds it would be easier. It wouldn't. How do you, and then maybe this comes back to the pain and the glory, but how do you become one? I love the sage and it's about the man's journey and I want to get into that. But when you talk about this relationship between man and woman, which is very different, you're working on yourself, being with yourself. And then how do you do that with your spouse? Okay, I I said enough. You probably get what I mean. Yeah. So a couple thoughts in what you just said. First of all, the being with yourself, you said a moment ago that what was wrong with you. Okay. It's very easy to see what's wrong with her in the fight. You can see what's wrong with you in the fight. Right. I want to bring us back to, can you also spend some time for your own self? Not to just see what is wrong, but what hurts. What is hurting inside of you? What are you afraid of as she says things, as, as she doesn't say things, as she acts or doesn't act as you, like what is hurting inside of you? And if you can attend to that pain and have some awareness around what's going on inside of you, then you can also like quiet some of the other narratives that get going around you, around her. She's always in it, like after me, she's always whatever. Like, what if that's not actually the case? What if there's something else inside of you that's actually after you? 
father's quick interruption here. Do you struggle with the sense that you are not stepping into the fullness of your role as a father? Do you regularly wrestle with feeling inadequate as a father? I would love to connect and encourage you over a one-on-one Zoom call. You can grab a time with me at www.rebelandcreate.com forward slash connect. Take a few minutes to talk life, fatherhood, and I will share several resources that will support you on your adventure of fatherhood. Now back to the conversation. My daughter was getting involved in a lot of street activity, and I had an agreement with my wife that if she ever needed me to remain at home, I would come off the road to support the family. Surprisingly, in the first 10 years of our ministry, that never happened. Then one day she said, you got to come home. Danny's taking over the house. I don't know what to do with him. Elizabeth is getting hard to handle. So I came home and I got a job as a salesperson working with a pharmaceutical company, basically selling pharmaceuticals to doctors and so on, that kind of thing. I'd come home every night. My son and my daughter are good friends, and she's good friends with his friends. It was my son's best friend's father's 50th birthday, and we got to know them well and invited him over, and we celebrated his 50th birthday. And after dinner, we were having dessert, and my son went off with his girlfriend to do some homework and hang out with her at the coffee shop. And my daughter stayed home with my son's friend. They were going to go hang out upstairs. And my wife gets this premonition that this boy, Derek, is forcing himself on my daughter. And so she goes upstairs and catches him on top of my daughter. Now, you could imagine how awkward that is. 50th birthday, she's coming down the stairs. She's got a boy six foot tall, and my wife's five foot two, and she's yanking him down the stairs by the ear, and she's livid. And I awkwardly, I escher people out, call my wife down, go up, talk to my daughter. And I say, well, what's up? Are you all right? What's going on? You want to talk about this? And she basically flipped me off and didn't want to talk. I just said to her, well, you know, honey, until we talk about this, I'm going to have to be with you no matter what. I'm going to pick you up at school and there'll be no socializing until I can understand what's going on and I can stand with you. I, I can't just bestow trust. That would be naive and irresponsible. So she basically told me to pound it. First day I pick her up and I go in to say, what do you got for homework? And she looks at me and she says, oh, so this is your effort of being a good father now? She's nailing me. She's right. I was in there for me, not her. That's what I mean by being. And so I acknowledge that. I said, okay true. But just because I'm being selfish isn't going to mean I'm going to stop because I, there's part of me that's selfish and there's a the larger part of me that cares for you. So I'd rather be found out selfish to get to you than just to get pissed off at you and run out. So I'm not going anywhere, you know, and I'm going to learn to work with you. So we worked together and a little bit. She didn't like me. She didn't want to talk, didn't talk. This goes on cold as ice for a month and a half. And I'm so despairing after a month and a half that i called my friend in California who raised five kids and I loved his family. I asked him, what do I do? And he jokingly had done my training. So he said, I'm not your cult leader, which is a line I use in the training. In other words, I'm asking him how, and he's telling me, no, it's not a how, it's who you are. You're obviously concerned about her, so let her know who she is for you. How about showing up for that? Don't bite her head off. And I didn't, I hadn't, but he made a lot of sense because I was getting ready to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was building up. Yeah. And so another month and a half goes by. And finally, I'm so desperate. This is three months. I'm driving her to a dance class in Ann Arbor, and we live about 15 miles away. About halfway there, it's snowing and this big expedition. She's four foot five, four foot seven, tiny little thing, probably 90 pounds and barely fit in a seatbelt. She'd fly right out of there. And I pull over because she's cold as ice looking out the window. She's not talking to me. 
So I just pull over. I start weeping. I told her, I said, look, honey, I, I know I'm not a good dad. I see your face. I see what's going on. I, I know it's not working. I, I'm failing you. But I, I want to tell you something. No matter what happens, I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to follow you. I'll leave my job. I'm going to pursue you. You cannot shake me. I love you more than myself. And I will never give up. And I just started weeping. And she jumps out of the seatbelt into my arms, buries her head in my chest and says, Pop, I love the way you love me. And now oh. I'm thoroughly confused. <laughs> I just told her how horrible I'm doing. And she told me, look, Dad, I started. I didn't know how to stop it. It was going too far. And I don't want you to be mad at Derek. I was as much a part of it as him. And and it's not Danny and Derek. It's me. I, I just didn't know how to stop. And I don't want you to send me away. I go, what do you mean send you away? And she said... I heard you tell Danny if he didn't stop doing something, you'd send him away. I go, yeah, I'd send him away in a minute. I'm not sending you away. You're just staying right here. <laughs> we laughed and we stayed. We didn't make dance class, but then I got home and she gave me all of her diaries because she keeps diaries and she wanted me to read them so I could read the confessions. Whoa. And you really don't want to read your daughter's diaries. So I read through them. And oh. after that, so here's the thing. I never, I don't have rules in my house. Like I have to approve the one you date. It was never that way for me. I figured, well, if you're going to, you know, you're going to choose, I'm going to stand with you. But remember, I'm going to stand for you to walk through it, not just we're not going to gesture here if you want my support. So she brought from that moment on anything that she was wrestling with, she came to me with. And then she would bring her boyfriends home. She had three boyfriends after that. And she married the third some years later, obviously. <laughs> uh, and that was nothing I planned, but she made sure to sit down and have those boys sit down with me and get to know me. And she enrolled them in the training we do. And now she's very deeply involved in our work together. But we live next door to each other. Oh, she made sure that her daughters were next to us. And she wanted us in her life deeply. They invited us on their honeymoon and their wedding. And my son-in-law's parents, we went on their honeymoon with them. They wanted us to. They said, no, this would mean a lot to us. So we spent two weeks in Hawaii and we'd meet whenever they wanted and they wanted to hang out with us. And to me, that's the greatest sign of success is that your kids, they want you in their lives deeply. My son's the same way. He wants us deeply involved in his life with his kids. And to me, that's everything. But that's all a way of being. I realized that the shift was when I just broke down and shared with her my own struggle and the demons I was struggling with. And uh, Yes, that vulnerability. It opened up a ton for her and for me too. I mean, she got real vulnerable. She told me the truth about what she'd been going through and what she'd been doing. When you first said, it's not a how, it's a who, that's how you led into this immediately. My eyes filled with water. There's like this punch to my soul that this isn't about performance. And, you know, I'm in sales too, built my business, blah, blah, blah. So much of what we do to gain success by the world's standard of measuring is based on performance. Can I make more calls than you? Can I make more sales than you? Whatever. Or can I make more calls today than I did yesterday? Whatever. Even if I'm competing against myself, immediately my soul was just pierced with this. It's not a how, it's a who, which is such a freedom. It's a freedom to be who Ned is today, I do want to grow and evolve. But can I be Ned today? Because the Ned today is who my kids need today, based on your story, not the Ned in 10 years. They need to see the Ned today. 
And really, I mean, the beauty of it is that in 10 years, as I've grown, the work I do on myself, it's going to impact my kids as well, whether they're 13 in my home or 20 in my home. So tons of freedom, tons of freedom there. Yeah. And Ned can be new at any moment. You know, that's the beauty of God is that he makes us new. And and the only way I can be new is to face the old, to face what I am, you know, like Uh, what I'm pretending to be. And that's the doorway to new. So it's both happening at the same time. Yeah. Pascal is a great philosopher to read around this. He talked about man is both saint and devil. And we're constantly struggling with that. It's the old Indian saying, you know, you got two wolves fighting inside you. Which one will win? Well, the one you feed the most. So it's not like you're going to get rid of all the negative thoughts or evil thoughts or angry thoughts or whatever. It's whether or not you're going to embrace them. We call it hugging the cactus and let them awaken in you the aspect of your life you're afraid to be vulnerable to. Incredible. So many killer moments over the past 12 months. Looking forward to more. Dudes, go check out the episode you kind of resonated with most. All right. If you found this valuable, please write a review. It helps spread the word that fatherhood matters. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, What You Do Matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time. Bye.